Yo guys, welcome back to one of our episodes uh, here at Dandana uh, with you, Christina Hasboun. And a very special guest with us, Hazim Jamjoum. Hi, Hazim. Hi, thanks for having me. Hi. Yeah, Hazem is a very special guest. So special. Yeah, <laughs> you're very special. We're very thrilled, right? <laughs> um, I'm thrilled to be here. Good, <laughs> good, good. good. To the side. <laughs> 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 um, um, yeah, so Hazem, do you want to introduce yourself? Like yeah, very I'm briefly. Uh, someone who's uh, quite interested in Arabic music as a sort of historical phenomenon. I also like the music itself. Um, I used to have a uh, a radio show in Toronto about this music and then in New York um, a show that's still going on under the name Unfortunately It Was Paradise at uh, NYU Radio so WNYU mm-hmm. um, and you can listen online actually WNYU.org I don't know if you can advertise other radio shows it's okay shows I think yeah, we, sure. we cooperate it's exactly uh, university radio has got to uh. stick together um, so yeah it's very exciting to find a show like this in London I've been uh, yeah. yeah I've been uh, euphoric cool yeah. we're equally Thrill. euphoric to find you <laughs> <laughs> fantastic um, cool so uh, based on um, discussions that have been going on between us we decided uh, to do this episode on the Cairo Congress of Music right um, which happened in 1932 in Cairo. Um, and you're a bit of an expert on that era, on that event, on what's yeah. happened, right? I don't know about expert, but I've definitely tried to kind of read up on it. Uh, yeah. yeah, quite avidly. It's a really interesting event. Uh, and what's interesting about it for me is that it's the Egyptian state, it's the Egyptian monarchy, actually, that is officially hosting this conference. And um, what they, the, the way it comes about is this uh, kind of uh, French baron, this French aristocrat, mm-hmm. uh, whose name was uh, Rudolf Derlanger. So the baron, his lordship, uh, Rudolf Derlanger moves to Tunisia and just falls in love with the music and the scenery, buys a palace on the beach, which is still there and people can visit it. Um, I haven't yet, uh, but I'd love to because I heard there's an archive there. Oh, yeah. I saw our, fr- uh, our mm-hmm. friend who co-hosts the show with us. Did yes. visit she visited the place. Yeah, and it's actually yeah. currently, I'm, I'm, I'm not quite sure, but I mm-hmm. think it's the current musical uh, conservatory. conservatory. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And there's a museum and hopefully yep. I think there's Brought an archive life. as well. Yeah. So he's a very special character. His, his parent, his family essentially makes their wealth off of... Um, don't tell me slavery. I mean, <laughs> not too far. Uh, the the sort of co- the, the French colonial profiteering off of, of Tunisia, and Morocco, okay. um, and so he falls in love with Arabic music. In some stories, he kind of also falls in love with Arabic boys, and he. Uh, I read that. Oh. Yeah, yeah, it's around, <laughs> and he teams up with uh, an Aleppo uh, musician named Ali Darwish to translate the great texts of, uh, the great kind of Arabic texts on music. So from Al-Farabi to through Al-Urmawi, Al-Kindi, etc. And so uh, as he's doing this, it's bringing him in touch with different Orientalists and this emerging discipline of musicology and comparative musicology. And this comparative musicology 
discipline, which sort of is now ethnomusicology, uh, is very much a kind of a discipline built around the phonograph record. And they kind of communicate through phonograph records in a way about like different musics are represented through their recordings that are reaching these European capitals where people are academics well, mostly. When you, when you say through yeah. recording, so it wasn't a matter of just studying it for the sake of studying it? So it's just what I mean is that you're... Commercializing it? Or? It's studying it through its recording. So it's not the same as ethnomusicology today where you may listen to recordings, but for the most part you travel, you try to learn the local music, and you're physically there. These are people sitting in places like Berlin, and Vienna, Paris. Okay, without the context. And, yeah, and they're arranging yeah, with different uh, ethnographic okay. recorders, with also the record companies, mm -hmm. to send in recordings from different parts of the world. And on this basis, they're establishing comparisons that's, with Western European music. Interesting. But uh, from what I know, that Orientalist prior to 19 30 were involved in the first recordings, you know, field recordings in Yemen and in Syria. It's the same as an Orientalist being there and documenting the way of life. And part of that is field recordings, you know, like sure. with uh, with portable devices and so on. Most definitely. I think that the, the army was quite involved, no? The army used to record as well. Sure. I mean, when the phonograph is recorded, its mm. applications go sort of all over the place. Mm. Um, we could talk about that uh, or on a future show because it's actually quite fascinating. Just yeah. this little piece of technology mm. has quite a story. But the, what I'm talking about actually is this particular discipline of, of kind of scientific study okay. of the music of others. Okay. Okay. Others being defined as non-Europeans yeah. is largely built on uh, these phonograph archives. Uh -huh. And the first of these is established in Berlin. And the reason I'm talking about this in an episode about the Cairo Congress is that the backbone of the scholars invited to this Congress are the Berlin Phonograph Archive yes, scholars. Yes. Mm -hmm. This eventually, even though they didn't necessarily think of themselves as a school, eventually becomes called the Berlin School. Of and these are people like yeah. Eric von Hornbostel, Kurt Zachs, who's incredibly important uh, as, a, as a comparative musicologist. Um, and until this day, actually, the largest musicological society in the world, the American Musicological <coughs> Society, uh, its award uh, is called the Kurt Zachs Award. Um, the Robert Lachman, who was the co-head of the uh, Phonogram Archive, um, these are all people who come from Berlin. And actually, the, the main um, brains behind the Congress is a guy called Mahmoud al-Hifni. Exactly. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. And so, Hifni so studies uh, in Berlin with these guys. Yeah, but, but yeah. I've heard two different stories, mm. or I've read two different stories, yeah. as in Hifni suggested the project to the king for... Uh, Fuad, mm -hmm. was yeah. it all? Uh, it Fuad, was yeah, Fuad, Fuad the first. Mm -hmm. and, or, and, and other sources, it was um, uh, the Baron. De uh, yeah, yeah. Well, um, it, the, the thing is, I don't think anybody's seen the correspondence that leads to the actual... Uh, the actual kind of lobbying, like bringing it up with the Egyptian Wazarat al-Ma'arif, uh, the Ministry of Public uh, Education. Um, the but both were active in the, in the yeah in I mean so the, the the general narrative that we get is that the idea sort of starts between Derlanger, Lhifni, uh, and Ali Darwish. Okay. So this is the trio that's going to be the engine behind this. Derlanger actually dies before the conference is held, so he doesn't attend this conference. Um, and the yeah, and so the 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 conference is actually sort of three prolonged events. One event. <coughs> 
is the scholars getting together and talking, and we'll talk about that maybe after we hear some music. Um, the second is the performance performers who are invited essentially to represent each Arab region, although there's a Turkish band mm. also kind of brought in, but which each is Arab interesting. state, I found it which very is fascinating. Yeah, so it's just inviting a Turkish uh, representative for an Arab music conference is mm-hmm. definitely political. Yeah. statement you know, and to record them as part yeah, of the recordings yeah. of what yeah. would go on but, in this but I think if you think about the history of the ruling family in, in, in Egypt I think it makes sense there's somehow. something yeah. there well there's a longer we yeah. can talk about okay. that actually okay. there's I'm, a lot I'm more no, another I'm episode please but the uh, but just to say that yeah so you have the you have the scholars you have the performers performing for the scholars And then you have the performers recording in a studio across the street. Mm. Um, and we will talk, definitely talk about this later. Uh, but so the, what we've also had is that in the, few, in the last few years, the French National Library, the BNF, uh, mm. teamed up with the Abu Dhabi Tourism and Culture Authority, uh, or with their money, to issue uh, kind of remastered uh, versions of all of these recordings. Which we have here right next to us. Yeah, Hazem, Hazem brought has it. brought a whole box. Upon yes. being asked to bring a USB, <laughs> he decided the, to bring a box of how many yeah. CDs? 18 CDs. 18 CDs. In the 90s, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, it's brilliant. I no, use CDs as well. I was actually today part of my research. I just ordered it. I have to mention it. You know? yeah, 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 yeah. I sent an email asking about it, hopefully, yeah. to find it. To But now, yeah. So you now I know the source. You know where you can get it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And so the... Um, <coughs> So uh, this is really lucky we have these things. I mean, the yeah. thing is that the recordings from this era are all in dire need of remastering and re-engineering mm. and cleaning up. Um, to get this part of it out is actually quite uh, commendable. Um, so I've made a kind of a short list and I've given you CDs to choose songs from. So I believe uh, you chose. I did, yes. I did yes. from first. So, uh, yeah, we, chose the first one. I think if we mentioned the countries that sent... T- uh, sent um, Uh, bands or musicians to perform. Yeah, and we'll be listening to these throughout the... Uh, yeah, so we have uh, Syria, Lebanon, Iraq, Tunisia, Algeria, Morocco, mm-hmm. and Egypt. That's yeah. it. Oh, and Turkey. And Turkey. And Turkey, yeah. yeah. So you chose... I chose... Uh, Amaluf, I, I chose, yes, a from the Tunisian CD, number 11, which is Thalatha fi dunya yajibuni. Oh, three in life. In the world. In the world or life that, that I like. I like. And Khmeis Ternan. Khmeis Muhammad Ghanim, and Khmeis Ternan. No. Right. So we'll talk about Khmeis Ternan also when we, yeah. after we listen to this. Okay. Oh. 
Okay, that was really beautiful. We really enjoyed that. Um, and we're going to, we were discussing here that we will be sort of touring all of the countries that attended the Congress, right? To record, yeah. Well, the countries that uh, sent bands, which... Yes. Uh, well, let's mention it now, let's I guess. Talk, yeah. Yeah, but, uh, so the no representatives or Kuwait or Yemen or Oman, which I found very interesting yeah, like, so because the music, l- l- there was recordings, field recordings in Yemen before that this time. So with really good recording, in my opinion. So here's the thing with this conference is this is a state level issue. And um, as far as my understanding of this conference, this is actually the Egyptian monarchy making a bid for the newly opened position of Arab cultural center. Arab cultural capital. And so, again, let's remember a few things. First of all, this is not an entirely independent Egypt. Mm. This is the Egyptian monarchy after the English uh, occupation and the imperial occupation of Egypt. So it's, but in the 20s and 30s, after the 1919 uprising, it's sort of called like a a semi-sovereign state, uh, which is that there's some room for maneuver Mm. For the Egyptian government, for the Egyptian monarchy in particular, um, and particularly in something like uh, the cultural realm, which yeah. is still mass cultural realm, which is still very new globally, right? We yeah. we tend to assume that uh, this idea of the mass this, that kind of is really enabled by mass communications and yeah, kind of very advanced definitely. capitalism. Um, the, this is actually a kind of a, a late 19th, 20th century phenomenon in the way that we think of now. Mass press, uh, radio, these kinds of, the phonograph. Public opinion mm-hmm. and so yeah. on. Yeah. Mattering. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Who cared about public opinion before yeah. the 20th century? Yeah. So the, um, the, the Egyptian state is only really able to deal through diplomatic channels. So m- most of the Arab world is still colonized at this point yeah. and is not in a position. And Egypt was seen in the interwar period as a place where if you send people there, they will be corrupted, especially in places like Bahrain and Kuwait. Um, all of the Bahrainis and Kuwaitis who ended up going to study in Egypt came back as Arab nationalists and or Islamists or quite like with these pan ideologies of liberation, anti-British, anti-occupation, anti-imperial. And so Egypt was seen as this place where, you know, allow people to go there with extreme caution because there's mm. a pretty vibrant press, like regardless of the dictatorship of the regime, especially during the depression years when this Congress, when this conference is organized. Uh, but in, in, interesting you say that because it, the Gulf countries were co- English colonies mm-hmm. you know, at the, the time. The crucial states, particularly. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Even in Yemen at the mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. So uh, if, if that's the case and all the majority of the musicologists that were invited were Germans, so... Uh, it says something that no, there it, were Italians and French. There were some you know? French and English, but majority are German. Was there, Hungarian. Yeah, but he's yeah. of the German school of thought, oh, I yeah. guess. They're very close. Sure. Um, uh, yeah, the Italians actually uh, were rejected, right? So oh, again, were they? Okay. Very politicized. Also, mm. by the way, I'm the only person in the world I think that knows this. Okay. <laughs> How did you find <laughs> I that? I found a document in the uh, Italian foreign ministry. Oh, heb, oh my oh, God, they were offended. Like, uh, but okay. They didn't want to mention it. <laughs> yeah, it was an affront. Um, the French actually were going to ban any participation. I found that in their oh, wow. archives. Uh, in their archives. Yeah, because there was this feeling that like if we start sen- if we start allowing Moroccans and Tunisians and Algerians to go 
to represent Morocco, Tunisia, that's, they're not that's representing that's French. Uh, in Egypt, of all places, then this will be a huge blow. Like, we'll basically mm. be conceding something really And important. how did they eventually allow their... Uh, they allowed it, I think the... Uh, Business, I think th- right? Because they might have thought... Mm. Because... Uh, uh, they'll I, record, I, make money, no? Yeah, I, I read somewhere that uh, uh, King Fuad uh, donated a copy of the recordings mm. to the to a museum in Paris, in the 6th Avenue. Uh, which is so a the Musée Guimet. Yeah, 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 exactly. So the, the basically the Oriental Museum. Oriental Museum, yeah. yeah. Which is yeah. So that's maybe bribery way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. One CD, huh? yeah, it's like <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, one vinyl. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I would imagine the whole recordings, yeah. three hundred twenty oh, records. Oh, okay, well, the whole records. Yeah. Okay. I, th- I think that's part of maybe an, another story which okay. we've already mentioned, <laughs> which is actually the the phonogram archives. Okay. So the phonogram archive uh, was established by this guy Stern, and who worked as a curator. As the head of the, uh, he established the phonograph archive within Musée Guimet, mm-hmm. um, and he participated in the conference. So his, uh, I imagine that was a result of his lobbying. Actually, okay. Much I more. I think I think this copy comes from that. Maybe. Yeah. Exactly. The so best Musée Guimet, copy. Musée Guimet then gave all of that collection over to the BNF, to the French National Library. Bibliothèque. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we are. And that's yeah. what that's what we're listening, we're listening to tonight. To actually, yeah. Exactly. Cool. Before that, I think yeah. we lined up another. Uh, the green CD. The blue. <laughs> so no, the, no, we played. Didn't we play we the blue played one? The green. We played the green Tunisia. Okay, then we're playing the blue one, right? And yeah, so they're co- they've coded them as blue for Egypt, green for the Maghreb, yeah. and red for the Mashriq. That's why we're saying these colors. D- don't yeah. expect me to remember. Yeah. So which track have you chosen from um, I chose Qaduhul Mayas. Yeah, because it just sort of caught my attention. I thought, oh, Qaduk al-Mayas. Who is Qaduhu al-Mayas? Mm-hmm. Uh, or why? Mm-hmm. Um, and the Alhan Abdul Hamuli. Alhan means? The melodies or tunes mm-hmm. or basically sure. his so composed. Compo- it's composed so by yeah. Abdul Hamuli. And uh, Muhammad Najib was? The one they got to perform these compositions. Okay, the main singer. Mm-hmm. So um, let's listen now to track 13. قده المياس
الله يا كريستينا الله انديد ذات واز فروم ايجيبت قده المياس محمد نجيب سينجينج ذير اند سينجينج ا كومبوزيشن اوف عبد الحمولي يس ذس فيري كايند اوف اي ثينك اف وي سبيك ا بيت اوف عبد الحمولي يا سو عبد الحمولي از سمون هو ميكس ذير كارير ان ميوزيكال ثياتر ان ذا ليت 19th سنتري سو ان ذا ليت 1800s um and he is the essentially kind of like we talk about the emergence of the mass public in a way he is one of the first mass musical superstars um m- you know uh what we would consider today the famous musicians of the past at least in the arab and islamic world um but also much more broadly are the people who would be sought after to perform in the courts of the very wealthy mm. and you really only make it when you sing in front of the king and yes. and really the top of the pyramid is to sing in front of the sultan in istanbul mm. the uh, of the the ottoman emperor essentially mm. um so in the late 19th century with the emergence of kind of stages musical theaters at the same time also that egypt opens up its opera house and the, fr- opening the, the suez canal yeah so the, the first um, theater that was opened he was involved in that or it was pre him it was um violinist player or something if i mm. remember correctly a, a, a jewish egyptian violinist player that started the first theater in egypt i As think al-hamouli used to play okay yeah, yeah. that's very yeah. like yaqub yaqub something okay. i can't remember yeah. i'm not sure about the last name yeah so i mean you have these traveling theater troops and you have these uh, <laughs> it, this is kind of an emerging uh, way to make money in the city Um, you also have, I mean, Cairo and Alexandria are these places that have huge tourism mm-hmm. of very elite Europeans, which essentially use these as exotic playgrounds. Yeah. Uh, between the hotels, uh, the king would give them access to palaces. The other nobles would give them access to palaces. So if you read the British travel writings from the period, you know, this is really where you go to enact your fantasy of the orient oh. quite literally okay um so if you're more adventurous you go and you look for hidden tombs and uh, <laughs> artifacts yeah. but you have to be from a certain social class class and right. they're all yeah. to afford it yeah. and to yeah. be able to yeah. go and play around with those big games yes yeah. so if you've heard mm-hmm. of the, the grand tour the kind of uh, ritual in which teenage uh, rich elite british boys and with some girls uh, would end would almost like you'd have to do this to okay. be part of uh, the club of high of the club of high society was to go to Italy mm. and you know buy some art and see the the old uh, you know the classical past mm. and maybe that would extend to Greece at some point uh, but by the time we hit the late 19th century Egypt is really part of the kind of grand tour map it's mm. like ah Italy is passé this kind That's of thing yeah. going into no, the, no, the real rough and tumble yeah, of the desert yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, interesting Yeah, and so uh, so this mass public, so Abdul Hamouli becomes this kind of like first real star and a sort of father figure of a certain kind of, let's call it an Egyptian dialect of music. Um, and uh, and so these these guys who are recording at the time of the Cairo Congress, you know, they have another father figure to contend with, which is Sayyid Darwish, mm. um, who also, they get Sayyid Darwish's son, to perform at the, yes. at the Congress, mm. and we'll listen to one of the recordings later. Um, but very clearly, and these are, you know, we have one CD for each of these, right? It's quite a number of tracks. Mm. Um, and so the, the, you know, something is being communicated here as well in terms of what we would consider establishing a canon, as in like the authoritative hardcore works, you know, of what what is Arabic music. Yeah. And something that maybe 
you know, isn't immediately obvious. The fact that it's called Mu'tamar al-Musiqa al-Arabiya, the Congress of Arabic Music, is actually not just a natural... The, the words Arabic Music, al-Musiqa al-Arabiya, this is not actually a phrase that is necessarily in uh, extremely common usage. No, because I read it was apparently all labeled as Oriental music, you know, like Turkish, Arabic, they all used to fall under yeah. one term. To, to and then at the Congress, they established, okay, we want to be labeled as Arabic music. Did they discuss that? Essentially, yeah. So what you generally have is what you were going to say, I think. And uh, uh, my view of it, and uh, it's just prior to this point, uh, point in time in Syria they used to just call it music yes. and in, Maca- mm. in Egypt they used to call it music yes. you know and to the west it was oriental music yes. so it was an no. Egyptian statement like you were saying earlier to claim the Arabic cultural you know like, uh, but I think and, and yet sorry I also think that not everyone from the Arab world was aware of the types of music that so in the east of the Arab world they weren't really at very all, familiar with what was happening in, in the Morocco. west of the Arab world musically Definitely. so so when they brought these people together at the congress it was a bit of an exchange of information as well no Uh, Sure, except that, remember, the people who are attending the conference are people who are very much in the know, Mm. right? These are performers, these are probably people, if anyone's listening to Mm. me from other places, it's these people. So, Qabanji, for example, uh, Qabanji, Qabanji, sorry, so uh, he, he, I was reading on about him, and he was known in Iraq because he was one of the first early people who started, like, going to Morocco and listening to Moroccan music or, like, Egyptian music and start to bring in those elements into Iraqi maqam. So... Yeah, back to your point that I think you're talking about the best of the best, you know. Yeah, sure. those who are in mm. the know. Sure. Mm. But even beyond this, another thing to remember is that because we don't I mean, there's not a lot of research on this. Right. So mm. there's a lot of uh, different ways of imagining this period that may or may not be based on mm. like how people themselves saw the situation that. um First of all, in this period, so you talked about Qabanji going to Morocco, there's a lot of musicians traveling to learn from other places, yeah. right? So say Darwish, who we're going to listen mm. co- to covers of, right? Say Darwish does his, like, does two trips to Aleppo. His main teacher there is from Mosul in Iraq. Um, people are actually moving. Mm. Muhammad Abdul Wahab has to leave this conference, right? He attends the first few days, mm. and then he's booked for gigs in, uh, in Palestine, Syria, and Iraq. Mm-hmm. He's got to go. Mm-hmm. Right? But again, we're talking about, n- you know, talking about Muhammad Abdul Wahab and Said Darwish. We're talking about, you know, the, the, the level. The exactly. Sure. The people who uh, managed to travel and to perform outside, they were like, you know, the one sure. percent. And now we want to add local to this. Musicians. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's add to this now another layer, which is that from 1904, um, music is being recorded in Arabic. Mm. Right. And phonograph, rec- phonograph machines and phonograph records are starting to make their ways into the popular coffee shops, into rich people's homes. And the records themselves are also in demand. Now, there's a skewed angle to this, right? Not everybody is listening to Tunisian Ma'loof from mm. Iraq to Morocco. Yes. However, everyone is listening to Egyptian music. Yes. Mm. Right. And this is where <coughs> I think the crucial point is, is that the Egyptian monarchy is actually capitalizing on the fact that uh, Egypt is this prime exporter of its musical dialect mm. through the recording industry. And, Start, and that still happens till today. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. exactly. <laughs> and actually, I think so. that the 20th century history of Arabic music is very much one of contending with Cairo. So the Ma'loof, so we just heard, I said I wanted to talk about Khmeyes Tarnan. Khmeyes Tarnan uh, goes back to Tunisia 
and becomes involved in the establishment of something called the Rashidiya school. Yeah. Which is... Which is the conservatoire till now. Exactly. Yeah. And this is not a conservatoire a la conservatoire. This is not teaching Western classical uh, music. Arabic classical. It's yeah. teaching Arabic classical music with a Tunisian dialect. Yeah. They invent the ma'loof as the national... Exactly. It wasn't mm. there before. I mean, people are doing different things. These yeah. are kind of also the Noba, the kind of Andalusian, Mar- Maghribi mm. um, fusion with, 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 over with, four 500 years. With specifically with ma'loof, if you look at the Tunisian genres, mm. I think it's it's always looking towards Turkey, towards the, you know the that approach to music with yeah, the because with the chamber ultimate, music. Yeah. And this is the thing I think that's often forgotten in the way that people talk about uh, the modernization of Arabic music or music in the Arab speaking lands, Um, which is that uh, Europe wasn't the de facto natural always kind of like thing to emulate. The pinnacle was Istanbul, the pinnacle, the highest court in the land, whether Mm. you were in Tunis or Cairo or Mosul or, or Jeddah. You were looking to Istanbul as the trendsetter of definitely uh, what Across we would now call kind of cultural yeah. production yeah. Across the whole Arab world, with the exception maybe of Morocco, and they were and less the affected. Yeah, yeah. up until Tunisia, you, it's obvious the influence. Mm-hmm. Algeria, it's less and less, sure. and towards and Morocco, Morocco really special case. The empire, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But they were like influenced on their own, and they maintained more. You can see the big African influence there, but much higher, you know. And mm-hmm. you know, so it's it's quite the uh, yeah. Morocco is quite special. Yeah. yeah that's so that's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so this is. I mean, for some people, this is the moment that Arabic music as a concept, as something, a thing. Uh, is sort of born, mm. uh, but in but interestingly, the Turks were invited. It, well, Turks were invited. They because had to be, yeah, yeah, I mean, exactly. Because, be. oh. like we were saying, it's 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 they are integral part of this, you know, of the Ottoman oh, music, kind you know? of forma- yeah. cultural formation. Yeah, mm. um, yeah, and um, when we listen to that, maybe we should talk a bit more about tar- how Turkey exactly kind of participated in this uh, conference. Um, but the, uh, but it's not just Turkey, right? The experts are actually mostly European. Yes. So the the midwife here is <laughs> the very midwife. much okay. is very much these mostly German, mm. one Scot, uh, and then a bunch of uh, French and East Europeans, yeah. but mostly German. Yeah, mostly musicologists, German. right? Yeah. So and these are the guys who invent what is now ethnomusicology. So mm. if you go to some kind of like history of ethnomusicology, the people they will cite as the founding figures. They of are. their discipline are these people who are at this conference. Yeah. Um, yeah. So let's listen to let's Turkey listen to now, uh, speaking of Turkey, I guess. Yes, okay. Uh, Turkey. Okay, because you chose the... Shurub Popul Oriental. People of the East. Exactly, Eastern people peoples. of the... Yeah. And it's considered classical music, uh, composed by Mas'ud Jamil Bek. Let's have a listen. Thank you. 
Ben sana mecbur olmuşam Gel kuzucağım Gel kuzucağım Gir koynuna kurt kapmasın Gel kuzucağım, gel kuzucağım. Sana yatak işte sineyim işte kucağım, işte kucağım. Gel kuzucağım, gel kuzucağım. Right, and that was Shu'ub al-Sharq, the people of the Orient, from Turkey, uh, from the um, Arab Congress. So um, you are telling us a lot. Yeah, let's uh, speak about yeah. the Turkish representation. Yes. Well, yes. About in, in an Arabic musical conference, first Arabic musical, musical conference, and after, like we said, like after Ataturk, came into power at the peak of Ataturk. So if you can So this is yeah, so that we said off yeah. offline. Offline, yeah. offline yeah. exactly. So now we're <laughs> so going let's go back to that point. So this is yeah, exactly. This is the peak of uh, Kamal uh, Mustafa Kamal's uh, uh, kind of reign. And one thing that uh, Mustafa Kamal or Ataturk, the father of the Turks, mm. uh, which is what that means. Um uh, so he comes in, he's famous for sort of, you know, the quote-unquote modernization of Turkey. Uh, and so he essentially kind of hired a, a tsar, a modernization tsar for each portfolio, mm. in a way. It was a very, you know, he'd have someone in charge of kind of modernizing the education system, someone in charge of, like, the, the agriculture port. The language. Like, the, the language, which the romanization. Is, yeah. Which is, I think, yeah. it, it contradicts what's happening here, because if you look at what happened to the language... It was moved from Arabic letters to Latin <coughs> letters, and it was like lots of Arabic words were dropped in order to adopt French and German. Uh, 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 so the Roman words. script, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And then you come represent at the peak of your uh, de-Arabization. Yeah, yeah. Come you to come the... to represent in an Arab conference. So that's right. So I, I mean, for the most part, Ataturk didn't really want to have anything to do with Arabs. Yeah, I'm sure. Right. <laughs> I mean, as for, I think the the a large part of the narrative was that the Arabs were the ones who betrayed uh, the empire through the Great Arab Revolt and sided with the imperialists and uh, all the bad things that are going to happen to them are their own fault. Um, and maybe on some level there was a certain kind certain of vindication truth to that. To that. Um, the, 
more to our topic, the uh, Rauf Yekta Bey is our main character for this part of the story. So, the, I mean, um, the musician who's, again, remember, we have sort of three parallel things going on. We have a rec- an extended recording session, which yes. produced the things we're listening to. We have these performers coming as specimens, essentially, to perform for the scholars. Mm. And then we have the scholars. That's really what the conference is about. Mm. And sorry, just a question. Who chose the performers? Was mm. it the scholars or? No. Yeah, it's a good, important question. Each state. Actually. Okay. Right? And remember, mm. these are pseudo-states. These aren't mm. really states. These are colonized entities, mm. most of them under a mandate. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and so the when you know, this becomes interesting for Syria, which we'll talk about next. But the for Turkey, which is exceptional in this regard, um, Rauf Yaktabe is actually genuinely very interested in how the Arabs are going to answer the key questions about what it means to modernize music mm. as a national music as well, as a national heritage and tradition. Because he's put forward a set of answers himself for how this is going to work in Turkey, okay. right? And it's not as Europeanizing as one might expect. And in fact, if you look at also how Turkish music classical music develops over the course of the 20th century um, it's not a wholesale adoption of no, European no, no, techniques it's one, and of, one of the things that really holds on yeah Turkey still holds on to yeah. exactly and Raouf Yaktabe is one of the reasons for that right is the fact that the person who uh, Atatürk delegates with a fair amount of power to bring to usher in Turkish music into modernity like that's what his portfolio looks like whatever that might mean um is someone who actually kind of really wants to hold true. Again, this is someone who wears a suit. So it's, it, and this is not just... Uh, a, it's West-educated, I West, suppose. Uh, yeah. West-facing. He's definitely mm. reading mm. and mm. writing in German and in French. He pub- publishes one of the most important articles on Eastern and Turkish music in a French encyclopedia on the topic, uh, which is a classic text uh, on mm. the subject. Um, so he's he's a heavy, um, but he, and he's no you know, Europhobe. Yeah. Um, but he's there almost out of kind of pure academic interest. But note that out of the six songs that the Turkish uh, representative for the musical side of the conference, who's Mas'ud uh, Jamil Beyk, um, they, he finishes with the song we just heard, which was Shoub al-Sharq, Peuple Oriental, People mm. of the East. Right? Turkish friends will need your help translating that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Khalq uh, Sharqi. No, as in uh, the lyrics. The lyrics. The, because yeah. it's yeah. the singing no, songs. Of yeah. course. Yeah. But the, the title leaves very yeah. little room yeah, yeah, exactly. for uh, interpretation in terms of the message being sent here, which is that, yes, you may be having a Congress of Arabic music, but don't forget that we share a musical heritage. Definitely. And, by the way, if we go back to sort of the 19th century and the early 20th, with the... European colonial onslaught, which brings with it a kind of cultural uh, baggage. Mm. Um, what you said earlier, Yamin, about like people just called it music. Yeah. Now they have to distinguish between this music coming with the missionaries and the European high society kind of tourists and the colonial agents and administrators. Radios and you know records getting from one side of the pond. And to even the before level. this. So oh, with things like the piano and the yeah. opera houses and mm-hmm. this kind of thing. They, have, the they had more options on the menu. Yeah, but now you have to distinguish kind of our music from their music. And the word people generally went with was musiqa sharqiyya, mm. was Eastern music, right? This was not, so this is what I'm saying is that like Arabic music makes its appearance in the interwar period, but but the, the need to identify music on a kind of civilizational 
almost national level. No, it is a national, I, I think. The adjective that yeah. people choose is Sharqi, mm. is Eastern, um, which opens up a whole set of other kind of questions. About and even how in terms is it of relating to India, China. Yeah, yeah. And mm. even in terms of translation, I think as mm. well from Arabic to other languages, how would it be approached? Because they wouldn't label it as Eastern music in other languages, right? Um, they would still label it as like yeah. either Arabic or... Um, as an Indian, like yes. what, east of our east, like what do yeah, they call actually, our Yeah, actually that's quite interesting. Yeah. I mean, you get, you do get catch-alls, oriental music. So Robert Lachman, who attends the yeah. Congress, um, he writes a book on the music of the Orient. Uh, and it's it, it's a small book that covers all from Indonesia, East Asia, India, and then a kind of world of Islam. Mm. There's some notion of the Arabo-Islamic, Persian, Turkish. People are still kind of confused as to what to call it, by the way. You get yeah. ma- mm. maqam-based music. Maqam-based music. You get... Uh, Islamic yeah, somehow. Yeah, although Islamic music is a really weird designator, right? Yeah, like yeah, it's, yeah. So yeah. It, doesn't, it doesn't catch. Represent. Mm. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, and then Arabic music becomes a kind of also easy way. And then uh, Turkish music, because remember, Ottoman Empire, Turk- the Turk uh, covers, like you can be um, Egyptian and be kind of the, the Turk, although they have Turks. their own. T- sort of, Turkish subject, yeah, exactly. Definitely from, <laughs> definitely from the Mashriq, definitely if you're like Syrian, Palestinian, Iraqi. In Europe, you are the Turk. And until today, mm. by the way, in parts of Latin America, people who migrated from Syria, mm. Lebanon, Palestine, uh, in some countries, especially in uh, uh, sort of Mesoamerica, Central America, uh, are Turco. Turco, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah Turcos. Yeah. Um, yeah, even if they're Arabic speaking. Yeah, because at the time when they, traveled, they traveled from the Ottomans. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. yeah, that's when they came. Right. Okay. Well, you've chosen something, I think, from the Syrian delegation. Um, so, if you don't mind passing me the CD. So, the Syrian delegation had two songs, um, and they're both Taqasim uh, Qanun. Um, so I will choose the first one, Taqasim Qanun. It's Al uh, Asta Fawzi Afandi, and and notice the word Asta. <laughs> yeah, please. Uh, Christina, you're gonna tell us all about Astas. <laughs> no, I think that's for another time, as we were discussing <laughs> what Asta means. Uh, but let's let's listen to this, and um, yeah, and then talk more about it.
Baba. Ustaz Fawzi Al-Qalqaqzi. So that was Al Usta Fawzi Afandi Al Qaltaqji. That was fun, no? Yeah, yeah, I really it liked is it. Nice. Yeah, yeah, all about this instrumental music. Mm. But um, yeah, let's talk about let's talk about the Syrian uh, representation. Yeah, so Syria uh, is in just coming out of a revolutionary situation. Still under and uh, still mandate. under military law. Yeah. Uh, definitely still under the mandate. Um, and so it's the Syrian mandate that has to pick a band and it actually kind of creates quite a stir. The, the band that they choose um, is, uh, is protested, especially in Aleppo. And, uh, by the Samia. By the Samia, by the, those interested. And it's, I think, I mean, this is really deserves more research. Um, I tried to look in the French archives for this, but I haven't found anything yet. Um, and now they found an asbestos leak in the archive and it's closed oh, wow. for a while. So it'll be a minute before I can go back. But <laughs> but um, from the little I have gathered, I mean, it's clearly a way of doing anti-colonial protest by other means in a way. Right. So this is a protest on a choice of band, uh, calling it unrepresentative, but very clearly also thinly masks uh, protest against the French occupation. Uh, and so it becomes sort of tied into colonial and anti-colonial politics in Syria. Similarly, in Palestine, uh, club in Haifa writes in uh, to the press in Egypt and says, please let us know what's happening. We can't. There's a, a music appreciation society that's been a set club. up. Sorry, what do you mean by a club? A club? Why are you looking at me like that? What do you mean, club? (laughs) How dare you? (laughs) I mean something called Nadi. 
Yeah. Okay. That's so that's something yeah. calling it a society. Wait, wait, wait. Yes, it's more yeah. like a society. And, uh, They're not clubbing in FIFA in this one. Oh, that's hilarious. We're talking about that 1932 and maybe they're <laughs> listening to techno. Yeah, techno, yeah. Yeah, techno <laughs> DJ. Disco, disco aficionados in 1932 Haifa. Who knows? I mean, they were pretty ahead of the game. <laughs> But they, uh, they'd established the Music Appreciation Society, actually much like the Music Appreciation Society in Cairo that Sami Shawa and Mansour Awad uh, set up. Sami Shawa is, of course, the uh, Aleppan uh, violin virtuoso who becomes the king, the Malik al-Kamanja, the king of the violin and makes his fame in Egypt. Mansour Awad, his, the co-founder of this kind of school and, uh, and then the Music Appreciation Society in Cairo, um, actually gets hired by the gramophone company. So he's the guy sitting in the studio with these guys recording the music. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's a f- another kind of fascinating character. But he's the person making the decisions on who gramophone is recording uh-huh. in the 20s and 30s. That's, so he's uh, kind of the most important man in the music scene. In the music scene, in the whole shebang, in what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the exactly. whole conference, the best product of the conference is all the recording. <laughs> exactly. So um, the... Uh, Yeah, so, uh, so it's a kind of interesting scene. And, of course, it's that uh, Music Appreciation Society in Cairo that then becomes the uh, Arabic Music Academy in Cairo uh, with this beautiful building on Shara al-Malika Nazli, uh, Queen Nazli Street uh, in downtown Cairo. And um, the, that's the building that they hold the conference in. So that's the building where the meetings for the Cairo Congress are actually taking place. And Mansour Awad is across the street uh, recording these guys. It's something that the gramophone company actually sort of sort of volunteers. Uh, so these aren't so part of the contract is that these are non-commercial recordings. So what we're listening to now are not phonographs that were produced for a mass, mass market no, and then sent mm-hmm. out. Archiving projects. These are, are science. Yeah. This is kind of the stuff of comparative musicology, later mm. ethnomusicology. Um, some of these recordings on here are actually kind of like demonstrations of types of rhythms used in the local repertoire type mm. recordings. Yes. Maqamat and so on. But yeah. also maqamat uh, iqa'i. Yeah, rhythmic modes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. With the Iraqi um, group, they have a specific recording about all the Turk, uh, exactly. Turk on, uh, yeah. on on death. Yeah, with the music. Turkish ones, there da- there's dances as yeah. well, which right. is interesting. Yeah. yeah. So and the dances is actually because they programmed in entertainment for the scholars. Mm. So uh, and Um Kulthum performed for them. Yes. Um, mm. Also, some of the people in attendance at some of the public events, mm. like you'll you'll find every once in a while, someone will say that they attended the conference, even though they're not one of the scholars or performers or technicians mm. and generally what that would mean is that they attended some of the public events around it so one of the people for example is a guy called Halim al mm, okay. which I don't know if any of you have heard no. of really. Halim al is a fascinating Egyptian composer who at the age of 11 goes to this congress what? Okay. and then prodigy af- style big time okay. actually mm. and then he moves Well, after the Nakba, after 1948, he composes a kind of electronic piece oh, wow, in really? 48 about the Nakba. And then he moves to the U.S. and becomes this extremely important avant-garde electronic musician. And he's really under-celebrated in the Arab world. Definitely. But mm. for like hardcore electronica people, 
they probably call him Halim Adaba. Uh, <laughs> but uh, he's, he's kind of a, a god figure. And he's actually someone who mm, wasn't necessarily himself a superstar, but many of the electronic music superstars uh, were influenced, were by, influenced him. by him, collaborated with him, openly talked about how much they learned from him. Mm, inspired, um, yeah. yeah. So the Congress has these uses which have nothing to do with what the organizers had planned for it, which was, we, we haven't even talked about why they did this conference, by the way. Yeah, and um, how long it lasted. Sure, yeah. yeah. Um, but the, the conference itself for the scholars mm. was basically um, some notion that there was a crisis, that there were these burning questions that required resolution about like what exactly is the frequency of the notes in the different maqams mm. well, how is the notation system going to work like let's just esta- let's just decide let's get a bunch of germans and east europeans <laughs> and french people to decide um what the notation w- w- will be was that what was happening or was it more like from my readings on the topic mm. i brief reading uh that the conversation that was the couple of streams of, of, of discussions that were happening. So the Germans were looking at it or the Westerners were looking at it as something that should be preserved and put in a museum as is as a folkloric thing or whatever you want to mm-hmm. call it. And then the Arabs, some of them at least, if not the performers, the scholars, if there's any of them, uh, they were thinking about modernizing it and actually adopting more Western approaches to um, notation and so on. Yeah, so this is the general narrative around the Congress. Mm-hmm. What I found is actually that's a narrative that's introduced onto the proceedings. Okay, that's interesting. Because it's not actually Arabs versus non-Arabs. The same currents are uh, have proponents that are Arab and yeah, European. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so the, and I think that's kind of crucial. So you have basically these different trends. Some people are about preservation. Mm-hmm. Some people are about kind of a celebration, right? Like the world should know the importance of Arabic music historically. That's actually the, the Scottish participant, Henry George Farmer, um, who's a really important character if we want to talk about the history of Arabic music and the way it's been studied. Actually, if you still go into bookstores in the Arab world Mm. and ask for a book that will tell you what you need to know about Arabic music, invariably they'll give you the Arabic translation of Farmer's book. Um, Which is called? Which is called Arabic music until the 13th century, but he has these other writings as well. and then, uh, but you generally, if you're looking for that, you know, high Abbasi, Abbasid era, Ziryab okay. um, era mm. kind of history, that's that's sort of the, uh, the first guy you go mm. to. Yeah. And what Farmer did was actually, um, he headed the committee on manuscripts. So the idea here was we have all of this Islamic, Arabic, Persian, Turkic um, writings for over a thousand years, mm. treatises mostly, and um, that are sitting, gathering dust, who knows where. Some of them are in Oxford, some of them are in Cairo, some of them are in Istanbul, some of them are in monasteries, some mm. of them are in... Um, and so farmers actually dedicated the latter part of his career to hunting these manuscripts down mm. and writing about them. Um, and so he does one of the only English translations of Al-Farabi, his work on music. Uh, Derlanger actually does, I mean, that's his main product, Mm. is he produces a multi-volume work translating about a dozen or so uh, classic treatises on Arabic music into French. 
um, which are still the standard. They are still the thing that people go to, even though they're not very good translations and they're highly... I mean, for him, this is a hobby and his Arabic is not necessarily that great. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to Farmer, right? Farmer's trained as an Orientalist. Um, he's in... Do you want to hear about how Farmer gets into Arabic music? I find it Please a do. great yeah, story. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Farmer was a bit of a, a leftist. He's an ardent secularist, mm. atheist, um, and a kind of communist sympathizer before that was a massively stigmatized thing. Yeah. Sorry, and we're talking about the end of the 19th century, right? We're talking oh. about the early 20th, actually. Early 20th, yeah. Yeah. Okay. We're talking about World War One. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so he discovers Still this... Still kind of okay at the time. Mm. Kind Socially of, just, yeah, 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 just mm. about, yeah. Yeah, just barely. They help us beat the Germans. Yeah. That's mm. the kind of line still, right? Yeah, Unlike yeah. after World War II, where yes. they again help beat the Germans, but this time they become the enemy. Exactly. Um, and whatever, Stalin deserves to be an enemy. Um, yeah. For, yeah. <laughs> I don't actually feel like I need to apologize to anyone for that. Yeah. Um, the um, what F- Farmer discovers this book by a man called Salvador Daniel, mm-hmm. uh, who was a Spanish aristocrat broke uh, kind of exile in France um, who was into music and ends up moving to Algeria and teaching violin at the conservatory there and then studying the music of the Arab uh, and on which he writes two or three books. Uh, One of them in particular is an attempt to write like a full treatise on the music of the Arabs and it's one Mm. of the first books written with a title like that. And uh, Salvador Daniel ends up going back to Paris. And when the Paris Commune happens, he joins the Commune. He joins the uprising. And uh, two days before the end of the Commune, they reopen the French Music Conservatory in Paris. And Salvador Daniel becomes the head of the conservatory. Mm -hmm. Two days later, he's rounded up with other communards and shot. Um, So Farmer is looking basically for leftist music scholars, finds Francis, uh, finds uh, Salvador Daniel, uh, finds this book, is amazed that he didn't had never heard of any of this stuff, and then learns Arabic and dedicates his life to writing about it. Wow. Otherwise, he's writing about Scottish military music, and he's a bit of a Scottish nationalist, actually. And I think he transfers some of that Scottish nationalism over into a kind of <laughs> Arab, mm. Arab nationalism, yeah. really. I'm convinced yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that narrative, that's what he knows, you know. Yeah, the that's politics, the politics of his scholarship is Arab nationalist politics. Um, he's the perfect guy for this conference. And I think what he's doing is he's making a pitch to the Egyptian monarch to sponsor uh, to sponsor his work of um, finding these manuscripts and translating them and, and commenting them and, and preserving them. Right. There's a big preservation salvage story here so he's pitching it for what purpose so he's pitching a certain kind of like i'm going to use these things to build a national an arab nationalist narrative it's a narrative that actually results in one of the most important debates in comparative musicology which is Mm. called the farmer debate now and it's a debate about a text that he writes called the arabian influence on european music where he argues that a whole host of holy cows of the western classical tradition um, from instruments to modes of listening, even to the word solfege, which he says comes from Arabic solfaja. Um, to I, I will refute that straight away because it has four consonants, but yeah. Tell us how that works. So if you dig into linguistics, there's a theory that says that um, Arabic nouns that are made up of four consonants uh, are, are most are probably, exactly. Yeah, no, I think yeah. what his argument is... Especially verbs. Yeah, is yeah. that in, in training, mm-hmm. uh, 
the way that you would do it in a place like Morocco or Tunisia mm. is instead of say do re mi fa so la si, you would say sa la fa ja. Yeah. That there was an okay. order of oh, sounds okay. that you okay. would make. Okay. From that, right? <laughs> okay. Yeah. I don't Good think that, yeah. well spotted, uh, Christina. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't. I don't think that he was arguing. There's an Arabic word. Okay. 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 Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I was thinking yeah. what. What does salfa mean? Yeah. Okay, so so Farmer um, basically puts forward a very strong argument that everything we think of as the you know medieval Renaissance it is Renaissance based on is coming through an Arabian influence, influence as he's yeah. calling it. from Spain, Portugal, and through Sicily, Sicily Spain, yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, and he demonstrates a big part of his argument. His argument. It, it enrages. A whole world of um, classicists and obviously and Renaissance aficionados yeah. and music <laughs> scholars, yeah. um, and some of the biggest ones in the field actually write some very angry letters, uh, and some of them publish them. Some of them publish refutations. To mm. which Farmer then responds. Farmers generally help to have won that debate, but until today, people are publishing uh, articles on like Farmer exaggerated Finding. exaggerated yeah. this point i mean i have no i, I have a kind of like uh, love for this guy <laughs> as a historical <laughs> character the way i do also for real sketchbags like lord cromer or something but just like as characters yeah uh, but in terms of his argument i'm ne not necessarily wedded to it mm -hmm. um but but that's but, but what do you think of his argument Personally, I think there's no question. There's an influence. That's, that, uh, that's, that's non-rational to say there's no influence. Yeah, that, that's, there's stupid. no scenario where that's yeah, the case. Yeah. Um, what's more interesting is the sort of philosophical underpinnings of the responses. Yeah. Which are in the 1920s. And this, you know, this is the kind of stuff that would have fit really into Edward Said's critique of Orientalism. But he wasn't really taking it there um, in terms of like phases or like the different kinds of. But in the 1920s, there was a way that Europeanists had a kind of stock response, which was that the Arabs, uh, and this is the language of the time, the Arabs, the Arab race, the Arab mind um, is really good at conveying. So it can take something from. And, you know, for the most part, we're talking about the Greeks, the ancient Greeks. So they can take something, really kind of fix it up, preserve it real nice and clean and convey it, transmit it mm. to Europe. And so, you know, the Arabs over, you know, this huge kind of civilization broad just, category yeah. Yeah. becomes likened to a body of a messenger. Yeah. Right. A fridge. A, conveyor. Yeah. a fridge, basically. <laughs> and fits right in also to the kind of political economy of the... <laughs> Arab world as uh, merchants, right? The kind mm. of caravan, the silk route, the all of these trades that were uh, were sort of, you know, east is where it's produced. The Arabs bring it over, and then the Venetians or the Genoese um, sell it to the Europeans. So, um, so you know, there's a kind of like uh, homology being built between spices and civilization <laughs> okay yeah. back yeah. to music please right. now <laughs> yeah. so yeah but, but back That's to um, I guess we left at, at that note so, so farmer and mm. how he got to to music to to Arabic music and his influence within and he was present at the Congress right yeah he was one of the backbones he was He's trying to sell his pitch to the okay. yeah yeah exactly yeah. okay um, and then Shall we talk about some women who were present? Please because do. it seems to me that Christina. there weren't that m that many. No, there were none. Uh, there were none. I thought Um Kulthum performed, right? Performed, yeah. Yes. So there At were the none. closing night. Yeah, there were. Yeah. So there were none in the 
conference itself. Mm. Um Kulfum actually did attend some of the sessions of the conference. Mm. Yeah, uh, they brought her especially when they wanted. <laughs> There's this kind of hilarious moment in the conference where they decide uh, they want to. There's two or three people who had developed prototypes for an Arabic piano. Mm-hmm. One from Lebanon, one from Egypt, and I can't remember if there was a third. Uh, the one from Egypt was an Alexandrian lawyer who had actually been engaged in this long-term debate with Mansour Awad, uh, mm-hmm. who would become the gramophone company's sort of artistic director, uh, about the Arabic scale. We don't need to go into kind of these theoretical details, but uh, but a character on mm-hmm. the scene, on the mu- an, an aficionado, amateur, who was not afraid to talk about his opinions. And since World War One was working on developing a prototype of an Arabic piano, um, I think it was Wadiya Sabra who was uh, had developed the, the Lebanese prototype and had patented it in Germany and this kind of stuff. And the Congress was one of its many things was it was going to decide on the Arabic piano. <laughs> and ever since the beginning of the century, actually, there were these European musicology types and comparative musicology types who were like, ah, the one thing that the Arabs lack is a piano because music is not fully music without chordal harmony. Well, it was, yeah, considered one of the epitomes of, you know, being cultured, being able to play the piano, right? Yeah, but also for composition, the Mm. idea, so since the... um, kind of 13th, 14th century, European church music involved uh, multiple different Mm. lines of melody. Mm -hmm. Um, So you start off with two with the organum, Mm. kind of very old, uh, very early on. And then you get uh, what becomes polyphony and counterpoint Mm -hmm. in the Renaissance. Um, And uh, by the time uh, you get to the 18th century and definitely the 19th century, so from Bach onwards, you begin to have instruments that are equally tempered I mean, string instruments are doing this earlier, but you begin to have keyboard fixed pitch instruments that you can actually modulate and play chords mm-hmm. on without terrible dissonance. Mm. And compositions the, happen on, on piano. like initially. And, and the, the reason that piano yeah. becomes the composer's instrument because of that. is because you're yeah. composing multiple melodic lines and, mm. and the foundation. So when we hit the 19th century, the entire paradigm for viewing Western classical, what becomes Western classical music, but music at mm. the time, is, is uh, or court, high elite music, um, is... Chamber music. <laughs> is among them, yeah. yeah um, is uh, har- there's this notion of harmony as chords mm-hmm. and chord progressions as the backbone of what a composer does, right? Which is mm-hmm. still the case yeah, yeah, for the most part. Still the case in jazz, definitely. Yeah. And, um, but the rest of the world doesn't really deal in... Uh, in harmony in this yeah. way, right? Mm-hmm. You'll have measured uh, harmony. Yeah, you, mm-hmm. you'll have like uh, heterophony, right? You'll have different people playing and singing different things on top of each other. But it's not this idea that you're composing a chord progression and yeah. that that's really the really what you're doing. Everything else is extra, is embellishment mm-hmm. on that, right? And so that's what an orchestra does is it's playing chords, mm. right? Um, so the, the, because of the way that comparative musicology comes about and this notion that like the rest of the world needs to catch up because this is the most rational, mathematical, superior mm-hmm. way of thinking about music, mm. um, you have this uh, switch over to, uh, the, or this demand on the rest of the world to kind mm. of adopt harmony as the backbone of music and therefore they need pianos. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to test these pianos, they invite Am Kulthum into the room. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't work out. Okay. <laughs> she doesn't like the pianos. Well. Neither does anyone else. Rauf Yekta is just like 
throw this out of the room, you know, okay. the, the Turkish rap. Um, there are other moments where they're trying to decide on what is the correct, like, intonation, like, yeah. mm. what is the correct interval for the half, the, what are we called, quarter, no- quarter, quarter notes, notes yeah. the, or what becomes called quarter notes, Co- actually, yeah. that's something that's part of all of these debates. Um, and so there's this hilarious moment where someone is, is holding, you know, one of those machines that you can sort of measure the frequency of the vibrations. Mm. And then Asabji brings out his kanun <laughs> and just goes like, ding! <laughs> and the guy's measuring it. And then everybody's debating whether it sounds <laughs> wow. right or oh not. So there's a little bit of buffoonery going on. Yeah. Even with some very intelligent, hyper, you know, brilliant people. Mm. Um, but a lot of... Uh, yeah, a lot of hilarity of people trying to square circles, yeah. in, as I would argue, is mm. people trying to make um, these musical traditions of whatever you want to call it, uh, the, the South and East Mediterranean, um, fit into kind of European molds of science, mm. right? Yeah, yeah. A science that's been fabricated on the ba- fabricated not in the most negative sense, but as in like um, invented and produced uh, and through measured. a very particular historic mm. process mm. of the development of music in Western Europe. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and so Um Kulthum comes in and she yeah. doesn't like the piano. And that was the only woman who was present and attended. In the sessions, yeah. In the sessions, apart from... So we also have a performer. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Tell us. Um, so I couldn't manage to find out much about Sit and Nusel Masriya of Firqat al-Awalim. I don't know if you mo- know more, but I did a bit of a quick research, and she was one of the Awalim, which was one of my questions: Who is Alima? The, <laughs> yes. the, the one who the, the the group who knows everything. Yeah, the lady who knows everything yeah. and who performs. I mean, literally, it's scientists. Yes, she's yeah, a scientist. She who knows exactly. And so these would be kind of courtiers. Mm-hmm. This would be very similar to, for example, like uh, a geisha mm. in, in Japan, Japan or something. Mm. So someone who is an ex- expert conversationalist, um, someone who's quite knowledgeable in a number of different fields, and so can can give you a very challenging conversation. Mm-hmm. So you as an elite woman, later on also elite men would have awalim in their kind of dawawin, circles, yeah. yeah, in their uh, living room type mm-hmm. arrangement. Um, for this very elevated scholarly type conversations. Alima would also be expected to be proficient in things like singing, performing, mm. as part of making the evening go in a very sort of edifying yes. way. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And so... Um, and then the terms evolve from that or stays... No, no, they, they, they're all called uh, Alima. Um, and then there were many... Actually, very famous ones at the time, and I'm surprised that they only choose Anusa because there were Bamba Kushar, there was uh, Munir al Mahdiya, uh, Fatma Sarri, and many others. I mean, women dominated the musical scene in the 1920s. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah. I'm just surprised mm-hmm. that they only recorded one. Yeah, one. And had Um Kulthum come in, and she didn't even record in the, in yeah. the sessions. Yeah. I mean, and uh, again, no women were invited as scholars. Mm. One woman was invited with her band to perform. This is not a feminist space. No, this is no, not a, a Huda Sha'rawi organized no. event <laughs> <laughs> or no. the Arab Feminist Union endorsement. Um, no, and, no. And there's um, kind of more to be said, actually, in terms of... Um, Underrepresentation? Yeah, and also the politics of the conference itself. The musicians themselves actually raised quite a stir around the conference. So Kurt Zachs, 
So mm-hmm. remember we said that one of the main organizers was this guy, Mahmoud al-Hifni. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mahmoud al-Hifni goes to Berlin to get what he says is the first Arab to get a PhD in musicology from Europe. Mm-hmm. So he's very is proud that, Do you think... Uh, it's, on very possible. it's very possible. It's very possible. Mm-hmm. Um, if not likely. I, don't, I mean... I don't. First of all, uh, PhDs in musicology were n- Not new. popular. Yeah, even were in Europe. Very new, yeah, even yeah, in Europe. Yeah. And um, also, if you th- universities, even in Europe, look nothing like in terms of enrollment, let alone grad school, uh, look nothing like today. We're talking about on the eve of World War II, you know, maybe one thousand five hundred people in all of Western Europe. Right. This is a tiny, tiny community of scholars, um, and. The, and so much, imagine what that is. So if that's all of the kind of acad- academia, imagine what musicology would be, yeah. right? Yeah. Literally a Fashion, dozen to yeah, 20 yeah. people. Wow. So the number of people going to get PhDs and the number of people who would have PhDs, Arabs going to get a PhD in musicology in the 1920s, yeah, I, I buy it. Um, mm-hmm. However, uh, he invites his advisor to Cairo the year before the Congress, Kurt Zachs, mm-hmm. right? Very important figure in the development of the disciplines of musicology and ethnomusicology. And Kurt Zachs says some things that really irritate the Egyptian press, mm. right? He basically kind of talks about backwardness and this kind of thing, and uh, it rubs everyone the wrong way. So it, this is actually one of the clouds looming over the Congress. Mm. Now, what happens is the Egyptian musicians partly as a result of this Zach stuff, partly as a result of the conference uh, going to happen, a different set of things, but also because there's a broader trade union movement that's forming, this kind of thing. They decide to form a union mm. just on the eve of the Congress. Okay. This is the... Uh, and A union for musicians. A musician's union okay. in Cairo. Okay. Amazing. Mm. It is amazing. Yeah. Uh, and this musician's union still exists, by the way. Mm. Um Kurtum becomes the head of the union uh, oh, late, well. later on. <laughs> yeah, as a, as a sellout. Okay. It's not a. It's not a thing okay. to necessarily celebrate. Okay. Um, <laughs> Unfortunately, well, maybe. anyway, I mean, so maybe, she, maybe, maybe. Uh, well, yeah. it becomes. Th- there's two moments where the mm. musicians' union has ever really mattered. One mm. was the Cairo Congress. The second was with the uh, Free Officers' Coup in 1952. Mm-hmm. The musicians' union uh, mobilized to fire Um Kulthum as the president of the union mm. because they say she's connected to the old regime, which she was. Yeah. Mm. Right. So she'd sung for the king. She was a symbol of the old regime, mm. of the uh, monarchist regime. Uh, Abdel Nasser personally intervenes. Right. And mm. says, no, she's too popular. If we start throwing Um Kulthum off the radio and firing her from positions, you know, the people will revolt against the revolution. <laughs> we won't last long. Uh, so we have to keep Um Kulthum. But in the Cairo Congress, yeah, Uh and he does, yeah, he does very well. And she, she's a will. I mean, it's not that she's duped into anything. She knows she's she's a very shrewd, shrewd entrepreneur, shrewd operator, um, all along. From the I mean, even as this country bumpkin who shows up in Cairo wearing men's clothing, Mm. um, she's the one setting the terms of her contract. She's one of the few people making a lot of money during the Great Depression (laughs) because she's made like incredible. Uh, she gets incredible royalties off her contracts. Mm. Um, and so, uh, but what the musicians do is they form this union and they say they're really angry that the Congress is being organized in such a way where the experts are European and the musicians are just there as window dressing. Yes. They're furious. Khasabji mm. gives interviews where he says, these are the things they think are the questions facing the Arab world. I can ask them one question. I'll have them dizzy for a year. Mm. Right. So it's this kind of uh, pride that's mm, coming yeah. out. It's like, how dare you mm. do this? 
Hifni doesn't care. Hifni is all about the Europeanization. So yeah. remember, we were, I was saying mm-hmm. that you have... Ar- so Hifni is very much one of these modernizers who considers modernity to be Europeanizing. Yeah. So the more you emulate Europe, the more modern you are. That's Hifni's attitude completely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, have a PhD in that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So exactly. That's exactly what he has a PhD in. <laughs> um, so, uh, and that's what he sees this conference being. That's what Derlanger wanted this conference to be. I don't know what, where Ali Darwish stood on this, but I doubt he would be much different. These are the three main organizers. Um, and so the union uh, says... They have to invite us as a union and we decide who's going to attend, mm. right? As a collective kind of action. Um, but then the regime isn't happy. And actually, they get uh, Muhammad Abdul Wahab to chair the meeting to break the strike. Um, so, okay. yeah, I, I, yeah I, don't, I don't understand what the big deal is. Well, anyway, Abdul Wahab, it's not the first or last time that he's going to play the role of kind of like uh, enforcer cultural enforcer and gatekeeper mm. for the Egyptian state, whether under the monarchy or under the Nasserist regime. Um, Interesting. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know. The thing, I mean, people love to just talk about music as this kind of artwork and as just yeah, kind of without music. Without context, it's nothing. No, no, no. Cont- no. I the, think... Yeah. But yeah. music is politics, always, yeah. everywhere. Yeah. context. It's just context. not politics. It's context. Yes. Yeah. So, so illogical, mm. political, economical, everything. Mm. Exactly. So, are we going to play one more tune? Yeah. Yeah. Let's so listen to her. to... Um, and I have to say that the Awalem used to play as well during occasions, so at weddings. Okay. And so I have uh, this right. understanding from maybe right. TV series. No, like it's not from TV, TV series. series. So yeah. what happens in the 20s and 30s okay. with... The <laughs> I raise market. another question, yes. <laughs> no, I mean, it's been, it's been hovering around us since we brought up Awalem, yeah. right? Yeah. Because the general association of Awalem is kind of like... Um, the term was used mm, in, a, in a bad way, maybe. Yeah. No, 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 no. apparently that came on later originally yeah. it was a re- respect yes oh, is a, is a respect yeah, exactly. because you're you're spending time with the lords with and ladies the, exactly. of society you're inter- yeah you're basically mm. an so intellect much modern day like hipster yeah. intellect so almost <laughs> identical actually to geisha in japan yeah right after 1945 after the american uh occupation geisha becomes like a you do not want to be called that yeah. that's like being called the worst word you can be called because uh, due to impoverishment and the devastation of Japan after the war, women start to sort of like dress up, all, you know, nothing near the sophistication of the the kind of labor that would go into uh, a geisha's appearance, um, but uh, to to sell uh, as sex workers. And mm-hmm. so uh, that becomes the association, right? And oh. awalim become associated with... You know, the kind of the, the closest equivalent you'd have to a, a strip club type thing. Right. So a kind of raunchy dance mm. with alcohol. Yeah. Money yeah. being thrown onto the stage. Yeah. So, so they used to, exactly. So they used to have a lot of money, apparently gold laid at their feet. Mm. Uh, and then what I read that there were two main dancers, Bamba Kushar and what was her name? The Qubtiya. Shafia, was mm-hmm. it? Um, and apparently one of them was famed for dancing um, with a tray of uh, glasses filled with mm-hmm. gold on her head. Okay. And and so they so used... Incredible balance. Seductive yes, yeah, yeah. approach e- e- to... Exactly. Yeah. So th- and yeah. there was some performance art involved. So um, that brings us to... Again, Anus al Masriya. Which is the only recording. Right? Yeah, so Over there's one, two, three, four recordings. Four yes, mm. f- f- four tracks by her. Which one have you chosen for us? I thought I would go with Al Lail al Hilna. Okay. 
because it's sort of it's about the henna, it's about the wedding, and it sort of represents or w- would give us an idea. Of I'm not uh, surprised you chose that one. Really? <laughs> 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 let's hit it off. Allah Allah, Siti Anusa. Right, Sit and Nusa, Allah Allah. Allah Allah, yes, it. And then singing about the Awalim. Yes. Meta. Right. I think with this, we will come to a bit of a close of today's episode. Yeah. That was very rich. Very, very uh, rich. Yeah, I think we delved into history and uh, and music. And, and politics. And, and politics. And, yeah, it's yeah. been a, a pleasure having you. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. fun. I love talking about yeah. this stuff. Let's no, do it again sometime. Yeah, 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 yeah no, no. Very, very We're soon. planning behind the scenes. We're planning <laughs> behind the scenes. Before we go, um, we want to bring your attention to a very interesting movie that is being screened within the Palestine Film Festival. And it's being screened on the 22nd of November. Where? At the ICA. Hmm. I think it's at around 8 p.m. 
and um, it's about uh, Robert Lachman. Yeah, right? so this is a film by Jumana Manna, this yeah. wonderful uh, Palestinian director who has made this documentary. It's very personal documentary, mm. very intimate documentary. She found the recordings that, so Robert Lachman and Kurt Zachs, so remember, this is 1932. This is not just a significant year for Arabic music. Mm. This is a significant year for global history. This is when the Nazis take power in Germany. So <coughs> uh, Robert Lachman and Kurt Zachs are Jewish. And they come to Cairo, and the, the Germany that they go back to is, uh, in, is a mess. So they need out. Uh, Zachs actually ends up going to my university, to New York University, and becoming a professor there. And that's mm. why the award starts to be named after him. That's where he writes his, uh, some of his most important books. Um, Robert Lachman, however, goes to Palestine. Mm. And in Palestine, he connects himself with the BBC's affiliate. And uh, he, he, he was invited by the head of the Hebrew University to document. That's right. So Judah Magnus yes. Judah invites Judah. Uh, yeah. Robert Lachman yeah. over to essentially try to replicate what they did in Berlin it, mm -hmm. in Jerusalem. Exactly. As part of the Hebrew. But, and for that, Oriental music. Exactly. Yeah. But that's Lachman's specialty. As yeah, well. yeah, yeah. yeah. So Lachman's going to set up the Hebrew. So remember, I, I don't know if I made this point clearly enough. A phonograph archive becomes one of the ways to signify civilization, mm. a new way for even cities like Berlin and Paris and London and Vienna to signify that they're, you know, at the, at the head of the curve, ahead of the game. Uh, and so by by documenting other civilizations. Yeah, I mean, music. think of the British Museum, yeah. right? As uh, how what a symbol of the power start of it archiving. is to have other people's art in, housed in yeah. your building. So music is is the with the with the with the emergence of, of recording. recording so it's now you can preserve exactly. that too. Exactly. Preserve. Yeah. Preserve. And display <laughs> and and display and power. critique and critique. Sure. You know, yeah. the, the and evaluate. Study, yeah. study and uh, categorize and exactly. Yeah. So, um, so Lachman heads to Jerusalem to do this. He meets. He kind of joins forces with the Palestine Broadcasting Service, uh, which is the Palestine Radio at the time, uh, which opens up, you know, in the mid '30s, and then he mm -hmm. gets a show, thirty-eight, thirty-nine. Um, uh, and so Jumana has found these recordings of the, those episodes that he made for the radio. And in English, right? The, the, yeah, the radio show was in English. And Lachman, the way he did it was he'd invite musicians to come and perform in the studio or he'd try to go and record mm -hmm. them. So he essentially created a categorization of, you know, so it was like the peasant music. Yes. Uh, the Samaritans, this Orthodox Jewish community up in the hills of Nablus. Mm, the Bedouin. Their music, the Bedouin, mm. etc. And so what she, what Jumana does is she kind of takes these episodes and then goes back and plays these recordings to the communities that produced the artists who wow. recorded them. So she'd find, you know, like uh, she went actually up to the hills in Nablus, uh, met up with the Samaritans, played. The, mm. And so and this is all on documented, uh, all documented. That, that, that sounds very. Yeah, beautiful. yeah. Like it will definitely be their first row. So I really uh, highly Rec recommend it. Yeah. Cool. And it will give us a bit of an idea about 1920s, 30s Palestine. Lachman's work, music. Uh, yeah themes in Palestine. Yeah, and, and go in with no expectations yeah. in the sense that... Um, I have high expectations now. So no, I mean, have high <laughs> expectations <laughs> about the quality of what you'll see, but don't have expectations Expecting that you're going to, to get anything. a documentary no, about no, no, Lachman. No, no. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to get a... Uh, about Palestine Lach at the time. It's, yeah, there's a lot going on in this and film. Now, so just like, be open to all of okay, its different facets. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. So now we've come to a close.
Thanks a lot, Hazem. Yeah. I've really enjoyed Dandana. this. Dandana. This is like the yeah. greatest Dandana. show on the it, radio. It, it, like, uh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The hottest piece. Yeah. 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 <laughs> if you don't know about Dandana, you're out of it. Yeah. You're yeah. not cool, okay? <laughs> <laughs> right. Peace, guys, okay? Peace, yalla. Yalla. Salam. Salam. Bye.